This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Good morning and welcome to worship. Today we're reminded that while heaven is our home and Jesus has won it for us, we're not there yet. We continue to struggle in what we often call the church militant. Today Jesus calls on us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him. We're reminded that it is for Christians, even as it was for our Savior, first the cross and then the crown. Today's gospel reading and the words that will serve as our sermon text this morning, Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 26. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and experts in the law, and be killed, and on the third day be raised again. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, May you receive mercy, Lord. This will never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a snare to me, because you are not thinking the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In fact, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. After all, what will it benefit a person if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what can a person give in exchange for his soul? The Gospel of our Lord. We'll continue with hymn 702. Please be seated. To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Amen. My dear family in Christ, what a difference a week makes. As we gathered in God's house last Sunday, we heard Simon Peter giving that beautiful confession of faith. Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus commended Peter for his answer. And he said it was that on that truth that he would build his church. But this morning, not so much. Today, in a moment of misguided zeal, Peter blurts out that he would never let Jesus be put to death. And Jesus turned and gave him that, that incredibly sharp rebuke. He said, get behind me, Satan. What was that all about? Simply this, while the disciples may have understood Christ's person, they didn't always seem to understand Christ's mission as our Redeemer. He had come into this world to redeem a world of lost sinners, not to establish any kind of an earthly political kingdom. And there was no other way to redeem a fallen world than by laying down his life for us sinners. That was a lesson that the disciples needed to learn. And frankly, it's a disciple that we need to learn as well. That in the kingdom of God, for Jesus, and for the followers of Jesus, it's first the cross, and then the crown. You know, the sinful nature inside of us doesn't like that notion one bit. 
We would like to have it the other way around. All the gain without any of the pain. Little children don't want to have to eat their vegetables before they enjoy dessert. Students don't want to have to study hard in order to get the good grade. Workers want to be compensated handsomely without working their way up the corporate ladder. In lots of ways, we have become a no-pain, lots-of-gain kind of society. But not Jesus. He knew that there could never be any heavenly crown for us unless he first endured the agony of the cross. And he was filled with this beautiful, rock-solid determination to do whatever it would take to rescue us from the punishment our sins had earned. Notice what Jesus says in verse 21 of our text. We're told from that time on, he began to show his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and experts in the law, and be killed, and on the third day be raised again. Notice that little phrase, he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer. He had to, not because someone was forcing him to do it, but because he came into this world to carry out the will of his heavenly Father. He had to go to Jerusalem, suffer, die, lay down his life, because that was the only way to win us for himself forever. See, Jesus came into this world not to be served, but to serve and to give his perfect life as a ransom for us, to free us from Satan's stranglehold, to free us from hell's prison, to destroy that last great enemy called death. And that would mean going to the cross. But Jesus knew exactly what would be coming. I'm pretty certain that at some point in your life you found yourself agreeing to something only to end up lamenting after all was said and done. You know, if I knew that it was going to be this much work and this much hassle, I would have never have volunteered for that. Jesus knew exactly what would be involved. He knew what was waiting for him in Jerusalem, knew that one of his own disciples would betray him into the hands of his enemies. He knew that in the Garden of Gethsemane, his disciples would desert him and flee. He knew that he would stand trial on trumped-up charges. He knew that the soldiers, of the, the Roman soldiers, would spit on him and mock him and taunt him and mistreat him. He knew that the Roman governor even though he found him completely innocent, would hand him over to be executed. Jesus knew all of that was coming. And yet he tells his disciples that he had to proceed. His determination was perfect. So much so, in fact, that when Simon Peter, in love for Jesus, said, may you receive mercy, Lord, this will never happen to you, Jesus responded with that really strong rebuke, get behind me, Satan. You are a snare to me because you are not thinking the things of God, but the things of men. Now, obviously, Jesus isn't engaging here in some sinful name-calling, and no, Jesus didn't really think that Peter was Satan, but he knew that Satan was using Simon Peter as his pawn to try to tempt Jesus away from going to the cross. Because Satan understood if he could talk Jesus out of the cross, then he would never be able to win for us a crown. So when Peter suggests, no, this isn't going to happen, Lord, he was a snare to Jesus. Look, Simon Peter said what he said because he loved Jesus. 
And he couldn't bear the thought of his dear friend and his teacher experiencing that kind of mistreatment, suffering, and death. But as well as Simon Peter's words were intentioned to be, Jesus knew that they were setting a demonic trap for him. And Jesus wasn't having any of it because he knew, he knew that in terms of winning forgiveness and salvation for Peter and for you, it had to be first the cross and then the crown. The only way to free you from the sins that otherwise would have dragged you down to hell was to go to the cross and to make the full payment for you graciously in your place to set you free. Listen, believer, if that kind of love and determination doesn't move you to want to praise Jesus with your life and love him back and devote your life to him, then nothing will. It's his pain and your forever gain. It's his struggle and your victory. It's his death and your life. He had to go the way of the cross because he loves you just that much. First the cross, then the crown. Not only was that true for Jesus, it's also true for us as we live our lives in this world. You know, we wouldn't say what Simon Peter said, would we? Living on this side of the Easter miracle, we understood that Jesus had to go to the cross, and even though it pains us to know what he endured for us because of our sins, we're so grateful he did it. We wouldn't dream of saying to Jesus, never, Lord, this will never happen to you. But you know, my problem, and maybe your problem, is that as we live our lives and we face problems and challenges, we kind of find ourselves thinking, never, Lord. These kinds of tough things should never be happening to me. Right, sometimes don't you think down deep, look, Lord, this can't be right. I'm a Christian. I'm one of the good people. I'm part of your church. I read my Bible. I go to church. I try to my best to, to live my faith. I, I've shared my faith with others. Look, I don't expect that someone's going to erect a statue of me someplace, but would it be too much to ask, Lord, if life went a little easier for me? if I caught a good break every once in a while, that life would stop dealing me such vicious blows? First the cross, and then the crown. Not only for Christ, but also for us Christians. Look, when you know Jesus as your life, your light, and your salvation, when you know that there is a mansion in heaven that has your name on it because Jesus bought it and paid for it with his own blood, you can't help but wanting to go forward in Christ as a determined follower. You will want your life to bring him glory and honor and praise. You will want your life to be a living thank you note to the God who won your salvation. And so when Jesus comes to you here in this text and he calls on you to follow him, you don't ask why. You follow him eagerly. You don't act as though following him in faith is a burden or a headache or a hassle. You view it as, as an honor to share in the life that he gives. You don't look to see in life how much you can get away with. You strive to give him your all. You follow with the Lord Jesus himself as your inspiration, your motivation, and your template. Follow me. 
but let's not be naive. Notice that when Jesus calls on us to follow him, he doesn't say, well, you know, now that you're following me and doing me this big favor, your life is going to be a piece of cake. Jesus never promises that our life will be a cakewalk. In fact, he tells us here that it's going to be a crosswalk. He says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So let's go back through this text and pick out some keys that we learn here about how to follow Jesus in faith. First of all, he shows us that we need to be able to identify traps and stumbling blocks that get in the way. Maybe it's some area of weakness in your life where you have a special vulnerability. Maybe it's some sinful habit that you've developed. Maybe it's some form of addiction that you have. Recognize it, repent of it, call it what it is, it's sin, and it's something that is getting in the way of faithfully following Jesus. Jesus recognized that what Peter had said was being a stumbling block, and he got rid of it. Turn away from that and seek the Lord's help to navigate safely around whatever it is in your life of faith that keeps tripping you up. How will you do that? Well, first by admitting that it's a sin that has taken over in your life, by repenting of it, turning away from it, by staying in the Word, receiving the great strength that the Word offers by praying and keeping careful watch. Maybe it'll take asking a fellow Christian whom you trust to help to keep you accountable. But the, 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 second, uh, the second key that Jesus brings us in this text is to deal decisively with temptation. Notice that Jesus doesn't engage Peter in a long conversation, doesn't give some thought to this idea of not going to the cross. Instead, he just looks at Peter and says immediately, get behind me, Satan. Think about the trouble that you've invited into your life because you have dilly-dallied with temptation far too long. The times when you have entertained these sinful notions and ideas instead of standing firm in Christ and saying, get behind me, Satan. A third key to following Jesus, to have in mind the things of God, not the things of men. Too often in life, we catch ourselves forgetting that none of this, none of this is forever. At the end of the day, very little of what we spend our week being consumed with makes any kind of a difference in terms of an eternal impact. So often we fail to have in mind the things of God and we get completely obsessed with things that don't really matter. Following Jesus means denying ourselves. What does that mean? It means to deny your sinful desires and your sinful impulses. It means to set aside what our mind wants and to think instead, what does the Lord want for me in this given situation? that we stop this self-serving way of thinking, well, what do I want to do? And ask ourselves instead, what would my Lord have me do and how can I best honor him in this particular aspect of my life? Deny yourself, Jesus says, and take up your cross. He means following him through thick and thin. Even when your faith in Jesus makes things uncomfortable or inconvenient, or painful. 
It's going to be a struggle to follow Jesus. It's going to mean struggling against your sinful nature and denying yourself the things that you may naturally want to do. It may mean wrestling with a guilty conscience. It may mean saying no to some person who's inviting you to do something you know isn't right. But take up your cross. Know and trust that the Lord your God will use those instances of suffering in your life to shape and hone and refine your faith and blessing you as only he can. So this following Jesus in faith, is is it all going to be worth it? Jesus promises it will be. He teaches us here that for us, just like for him, it's first the cross, but then comes the crown. In fact, Jesus says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, if we're so short-sighted in life that we fall into the trap of thinking that the daily demands of our earthly life are more important than our walk with Jesus in faith, then we'll lose that faith. After all, Jesus says, what will it benefit a person if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? No one will be able to stand before the Lord on the last day and say, look, I know I never paid any attention to you or to your word. I know I never wanted to have anything to do with you, Lord. But look how successful I was. Look at the money I made. Look how hard I worked. Look at the fun I had. Life without Jesus is no life at all. It's all about him. And he's the one who's promised us, Revelation 2.10, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. First the cross, then the crown. You know, the disciples needed to learn that Jesus couldn't be the earthly king kind of Messiah that they wanted and still be the atoning savior kind of king that they needed. He had to go to the cross. Dear Christian, thank your Savior that he understood that and willingly accepted the necessity of the cross before the crown. And that because he did that, you are saved. And a crown of life will be yours forever in heaven. Knowing that, in joyful faith, let's follow him every single day through thick and thin until finally we're gathered to his side in heaven and fitted with that crown of everlasting life. And then we'll know, first the cross, then the crown. Amen.